listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church, located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation, visit AntiochEast.com. All right, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 1, and let's look down at verse 15. Verse 15, so much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Today, I want to preach on this subject, shameless good news, shameless good news. Now, usually when we use that word shameless, it's usually, it's usually uh, negative. That boy is shameless. In other words, he needs a little shame. He needs to, to, to be a little bit humbled. But actually, the word shame comes from the very word in, the, in these verses, ashamed, And Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Now, I want to tell you what the world tells you and I, we ought to be ashamed. The world tells us we should be shamed because we believe life begins at conception. We ought to be shamed because we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman only. They shame us because of our beliefs that we take from the Word of God. They shame us when we tell them there is only one way to heaven that the gospel is exclusive. Verse 15 starts out with the word so, and it means basically therefore, thus, seeing that. It's the same thing as therefore. So look at it, verse 15. So, as much as, knowing what I just told you, that I am, he said, I am a debtor to the barbarian and the Greek. God's called me to preach, and, and all the things he said, he said, seeing that, let me tell you something, I'm ready to preach it. And so, and then you come into verses 16 and 17 and you find this little conjunction, the word for, the English word for. Now, you'll see it several times, but it's all, not always the same word. For it, let's read it. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes for the Jew first. Now, that for there is not the same. That means for, I'm going to the store for Christie. That's what that for means. But the other words, for I am not ashamed, is basically another conjunction. Another conjunction that means therefore or because. And what happens is you have four of these words, twice in 16, once in 17. Actually, I said once in 16. Twice in 16, you have the word gar, the conjunction, and once in 17, you have the word so in 15. And what happens is these statements, each one basically what they do is they build on top of the other. These sentences, as they build on one another, they explain one another. And between these four conjunctions, we will see four aspects of the gospel that we should not be ashamed of. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he tells us why he's not ashamed and what he's not ashamed of. Number one, we should not be ashamed of the publication of how God has chose to publish the message of salvation. Number one, we see the manner that he's chosen, and it is the preaching, preaching of the gospel. My blessed little mother, she, she always say, I'll tell you what, now a good song does me just as good as a good sermon. That's just not true. 
I know some of y'all think that too. It's not true. That's not why God chose to, to translate the message of the gospel. He chose the foolishness of preaching. We'll get to that verse. He didn't choose dramas, signs, wonders, miracles. Those are not the things that God uses to get people to come. I tell you that the rich young ruler, not the rich young ruler, but the rich man died and he was in hell and he said, I've got brothers up there and they're coming to this place because they are the same as me. They don't, they don't care about anybody else but themselves and someone needs to warn them. And I tell you what, Father Abraham, if you'd send Lazarus from the dead, if they knew, they know he's dead, apparently they knew he was dead, but if he were to rise from the dead and preach them, then they would believe. Oh, that'd be kind of neat, wouldn't it? You'd think that would do something. By the way, that's, that's the way most uh, modern evangelicals think that's the way you're going to have to uh, win people. Find someone with a 20-inch neck that knows how to knock people across a line or, or throw a ball in a hoop or, or has some fantastic uh, testimony. Boy, if we had that, we'd really reach people. I want to tell you, all you need is one little fat preacher in a slicker suit. That's all you need. And the message of the gospel, it's enough, it's enough. The gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. Anyway, back to that story. And Father Abraham said to him, now listen, this is very interesting. He said, he has Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Did that, was Abraham saying, I don't really care about them. They can read it for themselves. No, he was saying, nothing else is going to work but the simple translation of the message of this book. That's all you need. That's all you need. By the way, salvation is a miracle. And it takes a miracle worker to do it. That means God has to do it. And so we ought to do it by His plan, and His plan is to preach the gospel. The simple proclamation of the gospel is enough. The power to save is in the message, not in your methods. Not in your methods. So we see number two, the message. Here is the contents of the message of the gospel. Number one, we should start with a high and holy God. Because, my friend, that is salvation. Attaining the high and holy God, to be able to go in His presence, to be accepted by Him, to come into His holy land, we must tell them that there is a high and a holy God. That right there ought to tell them something ain't right. And then secondly, we must tell them that they are sinful and fallen men and women. This is the gospel. Oh, no, you don't hear this a lot. A lot of people want to tell the gospel and they want to start out how much God loves you. And that's true. And that's going to come in there. But Paul don't start like that. Oh, wait till next Sunday. Wait till we start on verse 18. That's not how Paul starts his gospel message. He starts with showing how awful and wicked men are. How far away they are from God. Let me tell you something, if somebody's going over a cliff, if somebody's going over the cliff, you don't want to discuss with them how beautiful the sky is in front of them. You want to tell them how awful the plunge is in front of them, right? So we've got to tell them that they are sinful. Number three, let me tell you something. And by the way, if you're here today without Christ, this is the truth. You listen to this. God is holy and you are not. And number three, there is a judgment to come. He has appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness. Oh, we're going to say a lot about righteousness here in a minute. What is righteousness? It is the standard of holiness which is set by God. Not set by God, it is God. Judgment is coming for those who do not come to Christ. 
Well, how about you Christians? You think you're so good, you're not going to have to face judgment? Not the judgment of wrath. No, we're not. Because Jesus took that wrath for us. Get ahead of myself, aren't I? Can't help it. The judgment of sin. And then there's the love and mercy and grace of God that this God that you offended, this God that you rebelled against, this God that you came against, loved you in spite of that and is coming to save you. And then there's the incarnation of Christ. That is that God came in human flesh. God came to this earth. He was born of a virgin. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He wasn't captured by it. He could have got it out of it anytime he wanted to. He was still omniscient, omnipotent, almighty God in that manger. But he, he laid that aside so that he could bear everything that we do and die in our place. The only difference between him and us is he did not have sin. And he lived a sinless life. That's number F, (laughs) letter F, A, B, C, D, E, F. And then we see G, we see the vicarious sacrificial death he died. My friend Jesus said, no man takes my life, I lay it down willingly. And Jesus died in your place, a willing sacrifice. He didn't have to. I hear this all the time. God has to give you a chance, a second chance. God don't have to do nothing. He's God. Don't tell him what he's got to do. So he lived a sinless life. He died a vicarious sacrificial death. That means he died in your place. And then three days later, he rose from the dead bodily. And then the Bible says that he ascended to heaven. But now it's, uh, it's, it's you. Here we are 2,000 years later. What does this mean for us? It means that if you call on the name of the Lord in faith, if you'll trust in that message by faith, the Bible says you shall be saved. If you place your faith in Christ and you repent of your sin, I'm going to tell you something, you can't do either one of those alone. If you place faith, you're going to repent. And if you repent, you're going to believe. If you're going south and you turn north, you've got to leave south, right? And that's all faith and repentance. The two sides of one coin. I began to hate my sin and myself and the, and the world and I turned from it and I turned to God and began to love Him, accept Him, trust Him, rely on Him and cling to Him. Woo! Glory to God, I'm glad I'm saved. That's the gospel. But number two, we see the offense of the message. The offense of the message. 1 Corinthians 1, 21, we see this. Now listen. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. You see, that's God's method of winning people to himself. But that's not my point. Look at verse 22. For the Jews require a sign. Uh, let Let me back up. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. For the Jews require a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jew, a stumbling block, and the Greeks, foolishness. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. This message of the gospel. And by the way, to you and I, it would be foolishness outside of Christ. Do you understand how foolish the message of Jesus really is, humanly speaking? You people really believe a man rose from the dead of his own accord? You really believe that? I want to tell you something. It's an amazing story when you get to thinking about it. It's amazing. It takes faith to believe it. 
I mean, y'all would, y'all would lovingly remove me from the pulpit if I told you, hey, the other day I was out there in that graveyard and people started popping up and talking to me right out of the graves. I want to tell you something. That's just about how crazy it sounded to the Greeks in that day when the disciples said, hey, let me tell you about this man that rose from the dead. It takes the power of God to save someone to believe that. Amen. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. This is interesting. That word stumbling block is one word, the word from which we get our word scandalous or scandal. But it actually means, it it, it refers to a part of a trap that gets triggered when you catch something. It's, uh, it's It's the thing that the cheese sits on, if you would. It's the, it's the stick. You remember, how many of y'all did this? Put it, I used to get a clothes, I'm telling on myself here. I used to get one of mama's clothes uh, uh, hamper the, the basket and I'd put it in the backyard. We'd have the bunch of black birds that would come through here once in a while and I'd stick it up on a stick with a string and I'd put it in my window and I'd watch for them birds and I'd put bread around it and when one would get under, boom, I got him. <laughs> Not realizing he could fit right through the slots in the thing and just right through <laughs> but that's what it's told about the stick that's used to trap you in and basically what Jews were saying is he's saying that is scandalous that's trickery you're just trying to trick us basically what they called Christians is you are a bunch of heretics you're trying to sell a, 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 a bunch of no good goods you, it, it, this is scandalous Without the power of the cross or without the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you something, it is a scandalous thing to say a man died willingly but rose of his own accord. It's an offensive message. It offends man's tenderness, especially in the day in which we live. In a day of where there's no uh, trophies, everybody gets a trophy and, and all these things and in this day, it's hard to tell people, you're not going to make it. You can never go to heaven. On your own, you are a sinner. You are ruined and you're no good. Quit pointing to so-and-so and so-and-so. That's not the standard. You say, Brother Ron, I'm better than you. I would probably agree to you. My wife would say a hearty amen. But I'm not your standard. The standard is God Almighty. And we all fall short, Right? Number three in our outline, first of all, of the publication of the gospel, the manner of the preaching, the message of the preaching, and then the man of the gospel, the man. It says there it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. Jesus is the anointed son of God. Jesus is the atonement for our sins. Jesus is the answer for man's salvation. Jesus is the advocate for the saints. Jesus is the awaited coming sovereign. Amen. Philippians 3, 7 says, but what thing were gained to me, Paul says. These I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that, and listen, I didn't gain Christ from being a good person, not from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, believing in that message Brother Ron just talked about, he'd say if he said this here today, the righteousness which is from God. Everybody say a hearty amen. Because that's it. 
the righteousness from God by faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I even would love to be conformed to the image of his death. We read in Colossians today uh, wonderful verses about our Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians. For by him all things were created and that are in heaven and on earth, on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. For he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, uh, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Amen. Let's give Jesus the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, uh, having made peace through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you who were once far away, aliens and enemies in your minds by wicked words, yet, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through the death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight he is going to present you holy one day not because of you number two we're not ashamed of the power behind the gospel again now there is a lot of people that are ashamed and you'll hear people and experts tell you brother Ron if you want your church to reach people well you you got to put you got to take the pews out and put seats in I'm not against that if it's more comfortable for us to sit in. But I want to tell you something, it won't help one iota reaching people for Jesus. And I think we ought to grow with the times. I agree with that in many ways, as long as it don't, doesn't go against the Bible. But my friend, I want to tell you, when anybody starts saying, you need this to reach people, you better listen closely. Because if they divert from the message of the gospel, they're heretics. All over this country, people depending on their light show and their fancy bands and their fancy style and all these things. I'm not against all that. Hey, listen, there's some churches, every corner you find a coffee kiosk. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm for it. It may not reach people, but it'll help me reach people. (laughs) Amen. I'm not against all those things, I guess. But I want to tell you something. Don't sit here and look at little country churches like us and look down on us. We've got the power to win people to Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not the gospel of the church. It is not the gospel of the Christians. It is the gospel of God and of Christ. And that, my friend, is the power of the gospel. As we saw earlier, it is the gospel of God. It is God who is holy. It is God who demands holiness. It is God who sets the requirements for holiness. And that is the atonement through the blood of Christ. It is God who provides those requirements. God came to us. We didn't come to him. We'll find in chapter 9 of Romans that men don't seek him. God came seeking us. Hallelujah. It is God who provides those requirements. And the gospel is the plan of God. So don't think you can improve on it. 
Psalm 37, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. You're my salvation. Psalm 68, 20, Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Don't you love that verse? Well, I do. Jonah 2, 9, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Revelation 19.1, after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Salvation is of God. Start to finish, it's of God. So we see that the power behind the gospel, we see this phrase, it's of God, and that it is to salvation. Number three, we're not ashamed of the people of the gospel. Not ashamed of the people of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, it says there, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God and the salvation to what? Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Number one, I want to tell you, God saves all kinds of people. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We sing it, we should mean it. Jesus saves all nations, that's what this means. All kinds, and he, he proves that by saying to the Jew first, also to the Greek, he uses to, to exemplify all other nations. He came first to the Jews, they were special, they were called, and he came to them. Although God primarily saved the Jewish people of the Old Testament, we see many Gentiles believed in him. We see Ruth, we see Rahab the harlot, we see a lot of, of, uh, of uh, Gentiles, not many, but some, mainly those who received the grace of God were Jews. We see many Gentiles believed in him, but God chose overwhelmingly to save the Israelites. But now, the message of the gospel is for all people. It's always been for all people, but now it is. It's spread and it is, it is said and it is proclaimed of all to all nations. Primarily now, though, God is saving the Gentiles. The hardest person in the world to win to Jesus is a Jew. Did you know that? It's easier to win a Muslim. 2% of the population of Jews in this world, 2% profess Jesus as their Messiah. And God has turned and He's graciously come and He's saving Gentiles, which that's you and me. But He'll save anybody that comes to Him by faith. There's no one excluded. If you come to him by faith, calling on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Everyone who believes, the word pistu, that's the Greek word there. And then he says, look at this, from faith to faith. Look at our verse here. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith is a noun. It's the noun form of the word believe. Faith helps better define the word believe. Faith is the noun form of the word believe. Believe is a verb. I believe. That's a verb. It's action. But I have faith, you see. And faith helps better define believe because it shows it that it's not just some mental assent. I dare say everybody in this building believes in Jesus. They believe there was a historic Jesus. They believe Jesus. may even believe what the Bible says about it, but that's not salvation, just mentally believing. It's more than that. 
I believe in him for my salvation. I believe in him for the forgiveness of my sin. I believe in him for taking me to heaven. I have placed my faith in him. I trust him and him only. And I think to myself when I doubt my salvation sometimes, and I think, what am I going to say when I get to heaven? And God looks down and says, why in the world did I let you in here? I would have to tell him, because you said whoever calls on your name, believing and trusting in, and all my life, I'm not getting here because of my goodness. I know I couldn't. I'm trusting in the blood of your son who you said to die for me. And on that basis, he saves. The phrase, from faith to faith, it could mean faith from start to finish. Some people think that that you start faith and you finish faith. Some people believe it means how your faith builds. This is what I think from faith to faith means. From one person to the other. From her faith to his faith to her faith to her faith to her faith to his faith to his faith. And all over this building, we go one, two, three, four. Everybody we knew that trusts Jesus, we can say that person's faith saved them. That person's faith saved them. That person's faith saved them. Amen? We could say that. The preceding phrase says, the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God was revealed to me. It was revealed to Jack. It was revealed to Miss Ann. It was revealed to Sarah. It was revealed to Gary. And from faith to faith, God saves those that place their faith in him. Let me go on. Verse 17, the just shall live by faith. This is a quotation from Habakkuk 2.4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. What does that mean, that you're only justified if you live faithfully? No, that's not what it means. He said the man's, that other man whose soul is not upright in him is not upright because he's proud, he's arrogant. He trusts in himself, but the man who lives by faith, who trusts in God, that man is going to have eternal life. That's what it means. The just, how are you made just? By faith. What does this produce? Eternal life shall have life, eternal, abundant life. Now, lastly, here we go. We are not ashamed of the provisions of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the provisions of the gospel. What is it? The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. You can have belief, you can have the gospel, you can have the Bible, you can have all the things, but if you don't have the righteousness of God, it's not of any avail. Because that's what it takes to get to heaven. That's what it takes to be right, is righteousness. And that is your problem. You're not righteous. What will you do? The word righteous, according to the enhanced Strong's lexicon, in a broad sense it says... It means the state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness is the condition acceptable to God. That's good. The doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved of God. Let me tell you what God doesn't approve of. Lying, stealing, hatefulness, murder, disobedient to your parents putting anything in front of him, coveting, wanting something, thinking that it would give you happiness and when you're not satisfied with what God has graciously provided for you. And on and on we could go. You read them for yourself. It's called the Ten Commandments. And then all the other commands are just sub-points of that. 
Why are you saying that, Brother Ron? Because I want to show you you're guilty. You'll never attain this righteousness that God demands. Any clear-thinking person sees the problem that humanity has. The book of Job reported the problem. Job 25, 4, How then can a man be right before God? How can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm. We are worms before God. We are maggots. Why? Because we're sinners that God is so holy and we are not. Jeremiah lays out the truth. He said, can an Ethiopian change his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? No. Then may you also do good who are accustomed to doing evil? And the answer again is no. We are sinful. We are so far away from God. That's the guilt of man, by the way, the guilt of man. But then I want to show you the gift of God. The gift of God. A better translation of the phrase righteousness of God is righteousness from God. Righteousness from God. We read this earlier in Philippians 3, 8, the last part of the verse, starting there in verse 9, it says, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I had no righteousness. I was bankrupt, as you are too. And one day I realized that I saw it. God showed it to me that I, what, it, what, it, what I had to pay to get to heaven, I did not have it. And I was doomed to hell and judgment. And God sent a preacher one Wednesday night, and I'd already heard it and already been convicted about it, to preach the gospel to me. And I saw it, and I cried out to God. And I said, God, I don't have any righteousness. I don't have anything by which I can come to your presence. And God says, do you trust me by faith? Yes, I trust in the blood of Christ. And he says, okay then, I will give you my righteousness. Come on in. How can a man who is a sinner guilty, has broken the law and made himself unable to enter into the presence of the glory of God. And, 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 and also, how can, how can he who has broken God's laws, has come against his holiness and has rebelled against his character, how can that man escape the wrath and punishment of a holy God and attain the righteousness required by God? How in the world can he do it? It must be given or imputed to him. It must be. Thank God, according to the scriptures we're studying this morning, it is. The gospel revealed how God's righteousness is attained. How is God's righteousness attained? How is it given? Because Christ became incarnate. Because Christ was crucified. Because Christ was beaten and rejected of men. Because Christ took the nails. Because Christ died. And because Christ rose from the dead. And because God sent Antioch East Baptist Church to preach the gospel to you, today you can have the righteousness of God. Verse 18, look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's how Paul is fixing to start out his gospel message. Pretty stark, isn't it? Wrath and ungodliness and unrighteousness and... Oh my, it's going to get dark here the next few weeks. 
But believe me, the light's coming. The light's coming. And I'll just tell you right now, we're sinners. You're under that wrath in verse 18. But my friend, move back into verse 16. And come and believe in Christ and receive the righteousness of God. Amen. Unless given, man must be supplied with righteousness. Thus, the cross has supplied righteousness. Righteousness.